Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. So a few years ago, I told you a story about the worst ski accident of my life. It was early in my marriage. I was still trying to show off with Laura. I still kind of do that a little bit. And and the ski accident that I had, it left me with a couple of broken ribs and a bruised ego. I told you that story. What I haven't told you is that this past January, I had a ski accident that topped that one. And I want to tell you about it to set up this conversation, this new series of conversations uh, about liminal space. But instead of me telling you, I, I, I've asked one of the only live eyewitnesses who watched it happen, Terry Kazar, to tell his version of the story. Listen to this. So Sean's telling you this story, right? And everybody likes a good story. Add to it, embellish it a little bit, make it better. And you know preachers, they do that. They do that a lot. Well, this story's not that story. So we're out west skiing this year. We have friends go. Sean King, Laura King went with us. We find something a little more challenging. It's called McConkie's Bowl. It's a double black diamond. Now, if you don't know skiing, a double black diamond is as tough as it gets. Very steep, straight downhill, angled about like this. So we're there, we're ready to go. I go first, I get about halfway down the trail, stop, turn to watch my friends come down the mountain. Next one up is Sean King. He gets about a third of the way down the hill and all of a sudden, Bam! He hits something and goes straight up in the air. I think we have eye contact right in the middle of this event happens. Sean comes down, lands on his back. Bam! I'm like, it's knocked the breath out of him. It probably knocked him out. One ski goes flying off and he starts this head over heels tumble. Boom, 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 coming down the mountain. One pole goes, the other pole goes. I'm sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, when is this going to stop? How do I stop him? He rolls head over heels past me. I have time to think, oh my goodness, we've killed the pastor. The church is going to hate us. We're going to have to find a new church. So anyway, Sean keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. And somehow he reaches out one of his legs and catches a small tree about this big around before he goes into this wooded area. He stops. He pops his head up. We're looking at each other again. There's this moment of silence. We're holding our breath. And then we relax. I ski down to Sean. He has tweaked his knee a little bit. No concussion, no broken bones. Thank goodness, nothing poking out. So everything is good. He's got his goggles crooked. His helmet is crooked. He's buried, covered in snow. Kind of funny. We get our stuff together, we look at each other, and most of the time at that point you go, wow, that was fun, let's do it again. Not in this case. We said, wow, let's go home. That's right, wow, let's go home. So we hobbled 
home, and that was it for that, that trip. He's not lying. There was a moment when I was doing great. I mean, I looked like I belonged on that hill, and then there was another moment. <laughs> After that moment passed quickly, when I left the ground and literally was doing head over heel again and again. And I, was, I remember seeing, you know, white and green, you know, snow and tree and white and green again and again. And, and the fall was so long. It lasted for such a long time that you know it's a long fall when you have time to recite the Lord's Prayer you know, sing the doxology, confess all of your sins. Anyway, but I, there was a moment between the time that I left the ground for the first time and before I, I stopped the free fall by catching the tree, there was, a, there was a moment in time between the already of the safety and security of the ground and the not yet of stopping this free fall when I was literally suspended in this, this free fall in which there was literally nothing I could do to control it. All that I could do was ball up in a tight knot. And I'm thinking about that experience as I think about the reality that it is a scary place to be between the already that we know and is familiar, and the not yet, which we don't know and is uncertain. And that space between the two, between the already and the not yet, well, there's a name for it. There is a word for it. The word is liminal. Liminal. Liminal comes from the Latin word lemon, which, which means threshold. I mean, it literally is like a, like a threshold of a doorway. You, you can think about crossing over a doorway, and that space between one room and the next is a space of transition. And you think about having one foot in one room and one foot in the next. Liminal space is that space of transition between not just one room and the next, but from one experience to the next, from one moment to the next from one season to the next. And in that transitional season called liminality, much can happen. I mean, liminal seasons and moments punctuate all of our lives. And, and it punctuates the whole of our life. I mean, there are liminal moments like, like dusk or twilight is the liminal space, the transitional space between daylight and darkness, right? I mean, there are liminal seasons. Winter is a liminal season between the already of the fall and the not yet of the spring. And, and, and if you even halfway pay attention to the journey of your own life, well, liminal space punctuates all of it. It's the young couple, for example, who, who now has become pregnant, but they have not yet given birth. And there's a period of gestation, of growth. But it's not just physical growth. It's, a, it's, a, it's an in-between season of relational growth, mental, spiritual growth, social growth as they wait for something that is coming. Or it's the couple 
who wants to get pregnant and cannot get pregnant. And so they, they have already begun fertility treatments, right? But they have not yet seen the success of it. It can be a, a difficult season of unknown and waiting. It's the experience of a retiree, a new retiree who has been working toward this moment his whole life and his, his whole identity has been defined by what he does, by what his career is, what his job is. That's how people know him. And already he has retired, but he has not yet figured out the new rules of this new world in which who am I supposed to be now if I don't have a career to define me? It's, it's like a, well, it's like your neighbor who's been diagnosed with cancer and she's begun treatments, but she's not yet in remission. It's the experience of a young couple who maybe after many of their first years in marriage are experiencing trouble, I mean like real trouble, and the marriage is, is actually threatened. And they've already started therapy, but they are not yet sure where this thing is going to land. See, seasons of liminality or liminal seasons punctuate all of our journeys. And why am I talking about that? Because of this right now. In almost every conceivable way, you and I are in a liminal season. I mean, and it's not just the pandemic. The pandemic has shoved us into the in-betweenness of life, right? Between what has already been and what we are not sure is coming. But it's not just the pandemic. It's our conversation about race and the tension that's around that dialogue. It's, it's the division that we feel in our nation. It's even what, what we are unsure will happen in church. Because here we are in the middle of a brand new season none of us has ever experienced. And we're looking back at what has already been. And we're looking forward into the unknown. And it can be a frightening place to be. Will COVID cases continue to spike? Will, will, will there be any actual change because of the racial dialogue that we're having now? Or will it simply spiral back into the same cyclical thinking and unmoved position that we've always been in will businesses recover what will church look like because let's face it we've gotten kind of comfortable watching watching church in our jammies right and drinking coffee and what's it going to look like when we return and will there be healing in our land again you see what you do in the middle of the liminal season, makes all the difference. How we think and how we interpret what we choose and, and how we decide what we choose all matters because in the season in which there is little or no control, in a season of in-betweenness, when we can't fully predict how this thing is going to end, it is possible to be driven, led by our fears, and our uncertainties that will cause us at times to retreat back into whatever cave of familiarity and predictability we can find. And from that safe space, we'll try to throw answers at, at hard questions or we'll try to come up with uh, easy, simple solutions to the crisis at hand. And typically, 
any answer that we give during liminal season, any problem-solving solution that we try to toss at the issue, it looks curiously like the solutions that used to work yesterday. They worked for a season, they provided for a while, but almost 100% of the time, they're inadequate to meet the needs that are emerging in this new paradigm of the unknown. So we could be moved by fear and simply try to recreate something that we remember or, or, by faith, by God's grace, we might be able to open our lives to a posture of humility and transparency and, and vulnerability so that God may be able to do something in us and through us that God could only do by shoving us into the liminal space. Are you in some kind of liminal space in your journey? Do you know what it feels like to be in this free fall between the already of something and the not yet of some other thing, and, and you don't quite know what to do with the anxiety that you carry around because of it. <laughs> Richard Rohr said that liminality is a difficult place to be. This is what he says. Richard Rohr says, liminal space is a unique, watch, spiritual position where human beings hate to be, but where the biblical God is always leading them. None of us want to be caught betwixt and between what is familiar and what is unknown. We don't want to be there, but that is the space where the God of the Bible is always calling us. Because if we move into those liminal spaces with the awareness that God may be up to something, then there is a transformation that can take place that could never take place in what we have seen before or what we do not know is coming yet, but in the spirit of openness and weakness and vulnerability, we're postured for transformation. Yeah. In fact, if you pay attention to the Bible, the Bible is crammed with lessons on liminality. Lessons on liminality. I mean, it's crammed with wisdom stories and experiences and not just individual stories about people who are living in their own personal liminal space, but it's also, well, it's, it's weaved together, sacred scripture is, with sweeping themes, themes of liminality. Let me give you an example. So it's filled with individual stories. I mean, you've got Abraham and Sarah who have this promise given to them about having children, and so many that you can't even count them, more than the stars, be like a great nation that comes after you, and yet it's like, it takes so long. It is taking so long that we can actually watch their attempts and their successes and their failures unfold before our eyes as they navigate the space between their already of the promise and the not yet of the fulfillment of that promise. The individual stories like Joseph who has this dream that he is going to be led, this dream that he is going to be used in a major way and yet he keeps getting shoved down. 
And he keeps being thrown into pits and into jail cells. And the rug continues to be pulled out from under him. And yet he's convinced this, this, this thing is coming. But during this waiting, something changes in him that could not have changed unless he was crammed into this liminal space. Or Jonah, Jonah, who was swallowed by this fish and three days in the belly of the beast, he finds a transformation that otherwise could not have happened had he not been swallowed by liminal space. And the stories go on and on and on. We could talk about Peter. We could talk about how he, he arranges in his mind because his faith and his Bible told him to that these are some people who are clean and these are some people who are not. And yet he goes through this period of liminal waiting as he sees that God's Spirit is in them and God's Spirit is in them. And there's a transformation that comes. I think of Paul who is blinded and literally goes through a season of blindness so that in that season of blindness, he's able to restore his sight or his sight is restored in order to see the world in a brand new way that he could not have had he not been blinded. So the Bible is crammed with story after story and we are going to spend some time these next few weeks on some of those stories but it's not just individual stories that demonstrate lessons of liminality and how to navigate between the already and the not yet. It's sweeping themes in the Bible too. Themes like wilderness and themes like desert. Themes like the pit or the grave or exile or pilgrimage. These are large sweeping themes that dominate the pages of sacred scripture and why. Why is the dominant story of the Torah this exodus from Egypt? Well, it's because everybody's leaving Egypt. There, there's an Egypt in every one of us, and, and a bondage in which we are constantly being liberated from the thing that has enslaved us. And there's constantly a promised land toward which we go, but there is always the majority of our lives spent in the 40 years of wilderness between where God does something with us that God could not do in us if we were in Egypt and could not do if we are simply pitching tents in the promised land. But even if I were to back away from Scripture and say, look, it's not just the individual stories and it's not just the big themes that we're going to explore, if you close the book and hold it before you, cover to cover the entire whole of the Bible, is a lesson in liminality. Our story begins in the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. And in the very first chapters of the Bible, we're told that God creates everything that there is. And there is this garden. And in this garden, God creates humankind. And humankind is meant to abide with God in this intimate, free, relationships with one another and with God and there is this sense of beautiful community that God in God's own self father son spirit in this perfect communion with God's own self creates humankind to mirror that kind of communion with one another and God creates in this garden a partnership with humankind God will create the earth but the humans will till and keep it which is a Hebrew phrase for love and serve it god will create the animals but the human will name the animals and in this beautiful partnership in the middle of all of it there's this tree 
and this tree is watered by these rivers, and there is fruit. And fruit that grows out of that tree and out of that garden that can be eaten, and some that should not be eaten. And yet it's more than just the kind of fruit that you eat in the garden that begins our sacred story. There is the fruit of peace. The, the fruit of communion with one another. The, the, the fruit of love and justice and mutual submission and caring and service. And all these fruits, if you move to the New Testament, are described this way. It's like the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, like a basket teeming with fruit is the life that God had in mind for humankind. And that's how the story begins. And in that Bible that you're holding out in front of you, cover to cover, you go to the back cover, and our story ends with another garden. And we're told in the last chapter of the Bible, much like we are in the first chapters of the Bible, we're told that God will create a new heaven and a new earth, and it won't be just like the old heaven and old earth, only it, it will. <laughs> there will be a garden and in that garden, there will be all the nations of the world, and they will be reconciled and redeemed, and they will be there together. And in the midst of that garden, there is a tree. And in the midst of that garden, a tree that is watered by a river. And there, there will also be fruit. It's the fruit of salvation the fruit of reconciliation, the fruit of redemption, the fruit of singing where all those who have been redeemed and all of those who had suffered and gone through the great ordeal will never cease in their worship songs adoring the God who has brought it all together. And you back up and look at the whole sweep of our story and you recognize that our story begins with and ends with this amazing vision of wholeness and perfection and shalom, peace with God and peace with one another, and all are made free. And all you got to do is look around for about five minutes today where you and I are and realize we don't live in either of these gardens right now. You realize with simply five minutes of, uh, of casual observation that our world is not teeming with these kinds of fruits, but rather with disease and suffering and violence of war and racial hatred and division and political chasms that separate people. And we recognize that there is, well, the way Romans describes it in chapter 8, a groaning that creation groans like a woman giving birth the creation groans for its ultimate redemption in the end, and you can feel it groaning. And we recognize that our lives are suspended in this, what seems to be at times a free fall between the already of Eden and the not yet of the age to come. And in this liminal space that we call life, something happens right in the middle of it. 
So take that Bible that is now closed and right in front of your consciousness and open it up. And right in the middle of this story, something happens that shapes everything. There is this young maiden married to a Galilean carpenter and she gives birth to a, to a boy. And that boy grows up and he becomes a carpenter also and an itinerant preacher. And the dominant theme of his preaching is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now the word that's used in Jesus' preaching in the very early days for repent is the word metanoia. Metanoia is a great word. Sounds a little bit like another word, right? Like paranoia. Paranoia is a Greek word that means para to the side of or outside of. Uh, noia, your mind. So to be paranoid means to be outside your mind. Metanoia means to experience a higher mind, a transformed mind. It means a change of mind. In the ancient thought, it's a change of mind is the same as a change of heart, a change of the gut of who you are, a change of the way that you exist and orient your life in the world. Metanoia, repent, change the way you think because the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God? The garden of God? The garden of God's perfect shalom? The garden in which God reigns and rules as supreme? Where the kingdom of God, as, as shown in Eden, as envisioned in the age to come, Jesus says, change your mind about all that because I know you think you're living in liminal only. I know you got to change your mind because you're thinking that the kingdom, the perfection of union with God and each other is only something that has already been because sin has expo expelled us from that experience. And you're thinking that the kingdom that's to come, the great garden of God's grace is only in the age to come sometime long from here. But Jesus says, change your mind because the kingdom of God is here and is breaking in right before you if you have the eyes to see it. There is fruit, the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, all of the fruit of Eden and all the anticipatory fruit of the age to come is available here in the middle of your liminal season. And then John does something amazing in his telling of the resurrection. John chapter 20, John says that when Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead, his first resurrection appearance was to a disciple named Mary and it took place in a garden. A garden because John knew what he was up to. John was saying, look, these folks need to understand the thing that's happening in the Christ is nothing more than or less than or other than the recreation of the world. And in him, he has the capacity to plant the seeds of Eden in your heart right now in the midst of this in-between season that is so uncomfortable and unpredictable. And he comes to Mary, and Mary can't recognize him. She's grieving. You know, that's what liminal space will do. Liminal space is when we're in between, and we've already left what's familiar, and we're not yet to the place where we're going, and we don't know where that is. Liminal seasons will leave you foggy, cloudy, unable to really see straight. And she doesn't recognize him, and she thinks because she's in a garden 
that it's the gardener. And when he speaks her name, she recognizes his voice and she says, Rabbi, she calls him by the only name that she ever really knew him by, Rabbi. She clings to him and Jesus says something amazing to her, unpredictable, unexpected. He says to her, Mary, don't cling to me for I've not yet ascended to the Father. Don't cling to me, Mary. You're talking, Mary, in the middle of your liminal season, in the middle of the in-between, between the already of Friday's crucifixion and the not yet of resurrection. You are already talking in such a way that you're using language from yesterday. You're calling me rabbi, but what is standing before you is something so much more than the rabbi you knew. You need to let go of the version of me that you used to know in order to see the fullness of who's standing before you even now. See, what makes liminal seasons so hard, my sisters and brothers, is that in every liminal season, we have to let go of something. In fact, liminal seasons will always require this. In liminal seasons, there will always be grief because we are having to let go of something. I mean, what are you having to let go of right now? Liminal seasons will always be painful because just when we have figured out that last season, we're pushed into an in-between And all the rules and expectations and the ways that that worked then don't work now. And I have to somehow painfully let go of this in order to be receptive to the thing that is in front of me. I'll tell you how most recently I've been learning that lesson myself. So around Blue Christmas this past year, I I told those of you who were in attendance at Blue Christmas that that for about a decade or more, I, I didn't do much crying. I'm not an easy crier. I wish I were. Those of you who can cry easily are going to live longer than me, okay? I, I wish that I could cry more easily. But there was a time that I went for a long time without any tears until May of 2019 when we began the last summer of our time before Nathan, our firstborn, moved away to college. (laughs) And I told you at that service what I'm telling you here, from graduation day until about mid-August, I couldn't shut it off. I mean, I I couldn't shut it off. Something was happening in me, and I'd have to go out on the back porch and just spend some time by myself and just the waterworks. Something was dying in me. I mean, you fast forward, and and it's August. It's move-in day, and it's the night before we move to Birmingham to move him in to Stanford University. And that night, the night before, I stay up a little bit later. Nathan's in bed. Laura went to bed. And Jackson comes in, and he sees that I'm, I'm writing a letter. I wanted to write a letter to Nathan to just tell him stuff, right? I mean, just to say the things that I need to say that I've been trying to say for so long. And, and I'm, I'm writing it, and Jackson walks in. He says, what are you doing, Dad? And I said, I'm writing a letter um, to Nathan. I thought about hiding it like in, in his pillow or in his desk so he'll find it later. And he said, no kidding, I was actually going to do the same thing. So I said, well, well go ahead. Uh, and he said, well, what are you writing about? And I started to say, well, I just want him to know. And I, I froze. I choked up. 
and I almost just cried all over him. And Jackson, with a classic Jackson move, saw what was happening. And Jackson said, we're good. We're good. I'll be back down. He goes to his room. And for the next about an hour and a half, late at night, he's writing a letter. I'm writing a letter. He comes down. We put it in the envelopes. We hide it in our stuff. The next day comes. We pack the car like you do. We pack it like vacuum sealed tight. Nothing, the spirit couldn't have even fit in the car. There was so much stuff. We go to Stanford. We move in. Everything is put in place. We make the target run, you know, as you do. We make sure he has a lot of carbohydrates to, to chow on the first, you know, first week. And then it's time to leave because you begin to realize, now I'm just kind of walking around asking him, you want me to hang this up on your wall? Hey, how you feel? You wanna, can I organize your desk for you? He's like, Dad, we're good. And we realize that it's really, it's time. So there's really no space there to sit and talk. Everybody's around, families are there. And so the, the goodbye was kind of abrupt, kind of quick. A quick hug here and then outside to our car. And he's left there in this dorm for the first time, right? And it begins to rain. And I thought about uh, the great Temptations song. I wish it were rain. I wish it would rain, you know, because I need the raindrops to disguise the tears in my eyes, right? But we get to the car. We, we start to drive away. We drive away on that long, like, nine-day drive, from Birmingham to Atlanta, where it feels like you're driving away from life. We get in the car, and I look in the rearview mirror, and Jackson puts in some music and zones out. Laura puts on her sunglasses. I stare down the road, and then silently, all the way home, we, she and I quietly <laughs> wipe tears from our faces without saying a word all the way eastward on I-20. The thing about liminal space is you don't know what, how to do what's coming next. The thing you know is everything that preceded it was beginning to work. And now you feel as if there is a kind of death to a season that you had finally gotten under control. That's the thing about liminal spaces. That's the thing about kids. They insist on growing up. So ridiculous. And the problem is, just when you master a particular stage, then they move into another stage, and now you have to learn something all over again. You figure out how to deal with the diaper stage, and then suddenly they learn how to hold their water, and they don't need you and your expertise anymore. Now they need you to show them how to tie a shoe and how to do the next thing and the next thing, and you, you're constantly being pushed out of the familiar that you finally get some kind of control over and made to abide in this space where all there is are highways that drive away from what you remember and what you loved and what made sense. Liminal space can rip your heart out. <laughs> but here's the thing that I'm learning. On the way back from Birmingham, it was okay. It was okay because in the car, there was a fourth passenger as well. 
And he was dressed like a gardener. Yeah. Planting seeds of a new garden that would produce new fruit that will never end. Are you in some space between? Do, do you know right now what it feels like to have left everything that makes sense and to be either forced or have chosen to move into a space where you don't know what's ahead and you feel a little bit lost? Strange as it sounds, I, I want you to know that that's the perfect place for you. As, as contrary as it, as it sounds, even coming out of my own mouth, it's the perfect position and posture because it's when we are out of control and when we are unsure and maybe a little bit frightened because we don't know the new rules of the unknown. That's the place where the gardener comes to plant in the fertile, tilled up soil of your heart seeds of a garden that will never, never end. Maybe you need to pray a prayer like this today. God, I don't know how to navigate this space. I'm open. I'm open to what you will teach me, but I, I got to confess to you. I will confess to you that if it were up to me, I'd stay securely, safely in my familiar garden where I know where the vegetation is and I know what is planted where. But because I'm here, God, I, I yield myself to you. In fact, I... I throw down my hands and I relinquish what I've had control over so that, so that I'm open to be embraced by whatever it is that you're trying to teach me. I'm yours. Take me now. Forgive me of my sins. Restore my hope that there is something coming that is better than the right now and I will follow you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And friends, if you prayed that prayer, if you're at that space, if you're like all of us in some kind of liminal zone, I'd like to know so I can know how to pray with you. Email me. Let me know. sking at jcbc.org. I want to come alongside you as do the rest of our pastors and our church community. Tell somebody. You'll find that you're not the only one in this liminal space. But wherever it is that you go, whatever next steps you take, may Christ go before you to prepare your way. May Christ go behind you on the days that you feel like retreating to encourage you one step further at a time. May Christ go to your right and Christ to your left, abiding closer than even a sister or a brother. May Christ go above you on the days when dark clouds roll in, to remind you there is one above the clouds who at the end of the day has the final word. May Christ go beneath you, girding you with confidence and removing all forms of fear. Mostly, may Christ go in you, transforming you from the inside out until your hearts beat in rhythm with His.